Welcome to 100 Days in Mexico. I'm Melanie. This is the story of how a 100-day solo road trip, surfing my way down the Pacific coast of Mexico, changed my life forever. Ready to go on a road trip? Strap in, let's do this. Episode 15, giving up. T minus 14 months. After I collapsed that morning, something inside me changed. I was ready to do whatever it would take to fix the mess I was in. The only problem was that I had no idea how. I made an appointment with my doctor to try and get some help. My primary care doctor had previously referred me to a specialist to address my declining health. Somehow, the specialist saw right through me when I presented with symptoms of fatigue, headache, weight gain, and forgetfulness. He refused to diagnose me with anything. Instead, he recommended yoga and meditation. Seriously? Leaving the doctor without any pills sucked. But if there was one thing I had learned, it was that I had gotten myself into a huge mess by my own ignorance, and I had better listen to people who knew more than me if I was ever going to get myself out of that mess. I was willing to try any and every suggestion offered to me. The doctor had suggested that I needed to make some lifestyle changes, and I knew he was right. I just wasn't sure how to make those changes, but being a straight-A student, I always had been able to figure things out. I was hell-bent on doing that. I found a new counselor, one that my insurance would pay for. I attended yoga classes regularly. I found a progressive church filled with supportive people. I bought about 10 books on relationships and drugs and verbal abuse and codependency and body image. I learned about manifesting my desires. I learned about thinking big. I learned about biohacking. I learned about honoring my body signals. I learned anything and everything I could to become a better functioning human being. I credit Louise Hay, Abraham Hicks, Tony Robbins, Janine Roth, and David J. Schwartz and Rob Bell with helping to turn my life around. I learned that when all seems to be in chaos, stick to the basics. So I started building disciplines to make my bed, drink enough water, wash my dishes, go to the grocery store, meditate five minutes, work out, text a friend, read a personal development book for 30 minutes, listen to an educational podcast while working out, and more. I knew I needed to find time to take better care of myself. My house was in chaos. My clothes stank. These simple tasks seemed to have slipped away during my time of darkness and depression. So I made myself lean into the discomfort of putting one foot in front of the other. Each morning I made time for stretching, reading something that was inspirational, deep breathing, and food prep for the day. It was amazing the ripple effect that the basic morning routine had on my lifestyle. The daily practice took up valuable time, which I didn't have. The more I insisted on taking time for basics, such as doing laundry, putting away dishes, and writing a gratitude list in the morning, the less I had time to work on work-related projects. I knew I had to choose work or health. I felt so guilty when I told my 6.30 a.m. client that I could no longer see her. 
I didn't really have a reason, except that there was no way I could get up at 5.30 to do my morning routine. As a kid, if I slept late, my mom would yell up the stairs, get out of bed, you lazy butt. And I felt like a big lazy butt. But no matter how hard I tried, I simply could not do both, both a morning routine and a 6.30 a.m. client. One of them had to go. It felt like an act of violence to force myself out of bed before I was rested. To treat myself better, I could no longer violate my body in that way. My therapist, my Al-Anon and personal development reading all told me it was better to take care of myself first. The client I had refused was one of my bread and butter clients and I had no idea how I would go without the money when I already didn't have enough. But the words of my friend Silva, who had called me white trash for making poor decisions based on a poverty mentality, still rang in my ears. I refused to do something that wasn't in my best interest out of fear of lack of money. Little by little, I started making small decisions to put my basic needs above the needs of my business. Rest, personal hygiene, cleanliness in my home, healthy eating and recreation. It was scary to be sure. Every minute I spent cleaning my shower was a minute I wasn't spending marketing my classes. Money came in slower and slower. The business was declining along with my savings. During this time of self-care, I discovered surfing. I was already a surfer and loved the ocean, but I never went out when the water was cold or when the waves were over waist high. But those limitations disappeared completely as I gave myself time to enjoy it. Surfing is a mission. You have to load the board on top of the car into the racks, drive to get to the break, get in your wetsuit, paddle out, catch waves for about an hour, paddle back in, get out of the wetsuit, get dried off, load the boards back up, drive home, shower, get back in your clothes, redo your makeup and hair, then get back to work. The whole process takes at least two and a half hours and is much better if you have four hours. On top of that, there's no way to stay in shape for surfing except to surf daily. If you skip more than a day or two, you start to lose your surf strength. Then there's the issue of needing to surf when the conditions, tide, swell, and wind are all lined up. That is why surfing is a lifestyle. My lifestyle was work. There was no room to be a true surfer. The problem was, every time I surfed, I felt good. And it was really the only thing that made me feel anything other than depressed. Without surfing, I really didn't want to live. Nothing else even came close to giving me hope. Surfing became the reason to get out of bed, the reason to go through my morning routine, the reason to go to the grocery store, the reason to make money. The more I surfed, the more I surfed. I started taking off a whole day every week to hang out at my favorite surf spot, kicking it with my friends between sessions. I started taking afternoons off to surf with my friends at sunset. The more time I spent surfing, the happier I got and the worse my business performed. Even my teaching suffered. I just didn't want to teach those people who were paying me pennies. I had a classic convertible that I bought from my dad. A 1971 Buick Skylark, cherry red with a black leather interior and a 350 under the hood. It was the perfect Southern California car. 
I drove the car mostly on weekends, my surfboard sticking out the back down to Sunset Cliffs Boulevard to park at the end of the cliffs in front of my favorite surf spot. I spent hours leaning against the car parked on the cliffs just above the break. I would park and watch the waves and wait for the prime parking spot to open up. I would work my way toward the better parking spot and eventually get out of the car. I would slowly take out my surfing gear, board, wetsuit, wax, wax comb, leash, towel, sunscreen. Just as slowly I would ready myself for the session, all while chatting with the other surfers whom I recognized from the water. If it was a nice sunny afternoon, it might be over an hour from the time I parked the car to the time I was actually in the water. Other locals also posted up in their vehicles, doors open and music on. It was always easy to find someone someone else to hang out with just by taking a little drive out to the cliffs. After the surf session, I would spend hours more undoing the process, rinsing with fresh water, getting out of the wetsuit, putting the board back in the bag, and congratulating other surfers on nice waves I saw them getting while we shared a session. The energy was always good at the end of of a day of good waves. People laughed and told stories about heavy cleanup sets or sick little barrels. If the evening was pleasant, the waves were good, and the sunset was a pretty one, we would all pretty much feel like life couldn't get any better. At least, until thoughts of the impending doom of Monday morning robbed my joy. One night, after one of those epic wave days, we nursed some post-surf beers. I sat with Paul and Raphael, two of the local surfers who ran the the break. It was Sunday evening, and the dread of Monday morning cast a shadow over the epic day. I suddenly felt icky. Tension grabbed my chest, ripping me from the present moment. I opened up a bit to my friends. I told them I was sad, how surfing was the only thing making me happy. I admitted to them that my yoga studio wasn't making much money and required endless work. I revealed that I was trying to recover my mental and physical health and how surfing was helping me so much. I don't want to live a life in which I take moments out to find happiness. I want to live a happy life and take moments out to work. I expressed the American dilemma in my own words. Somehow, my friend Raphael picked up on what I was saying. Oh, you could just go to Costa, Raphael suggested. Costa is how surfers refer to Costa Rica. It's cheap there, and you could just bail your yoga studio and go. You could just surf all day, he continued. Those words, you could just surf all day, struck me like a truck. I got quiet. Paul, who no doubt wanted to marry me, also got quiet. I took a long sip off my cheap beer. I looked out into the warm darkness, repeating, I could just surf all day. I thought a few more minutes. Paul looked at me, and he saw the look in my eyes. Oh no, he turned to Raphael. What did you just do? You shouldn't have said that. The idea was planted in my head to take an extended surf vacation. I couldn't stop obsessing on it. I realized that at 32 years old, I was suddenly handed a second chance in life. Ever since I was a child, I had wanted to travel and see the world. As a teenager, I was obsessed with snowboarding. I wanted to snowboard every mountain in the world. It became my dream, my passion, my heartbeat. When my older brother left, home at 18 to be a ski bum for a season in Denver, I was insanely jealous, and I assumed I would do the same thing after my high school graduation. But 
I put off my adventure to go to college and once again was insanely jealous when my younger brother, who backpacked through Europe, I recruited my best friend to hike the Appalachian Trail with me the summer before my college senior year, trying to fill my need for adventure travel. She agreed, but at the last minute, backed out. I spent the, life, I spent the summer lifeguarding at a pool instead. That's when I met my first husband and once again suppressed my thirst for adventure. My first husband and I talked of an adventure together, but we moved to California for me to attend graduate school. After graduate school, we applied as a couple to the Peace Corps and received an assignment in Western Africa. We were slated to leave for our service the month after my graduation from San Diego State University. We got all our vaccinations and visas, but that was when the marriage fell apart. Once again, I put off my adventure and went looking for a good job. A steady paycheck, student loans, a new husband, a yoga studio. It kept me in San Diego for another seven years. Now, at 32, I had created a life for myself. I had friends, solid friends, who loved me. I was on the town council. I had stuff. I owned two cars and rented a garage for storage. I was established. But... I was slowly losing stuff, too. Money, health, my husband. When I heard Raphael say I could just go, I realized the opportunity to travel had returned. If I didn't go this time, I might never be able to go again. But I still had a husband with whom I still wanted to reconcile, and I had a business. Both felt like anchors around my neck. Initially, I laughed at Raphael's suggestion. Still, the more I learned about taking care of myself, the more the idea took root. Eventually, the guilt of irresponsibility set in. The pendulum had swung too far. I wasn't doing what needed to be done to run my business properly. The time required and the financial gain just didn't add up. Yet, I felt a sense of responsibility to the yoga community that I had created. I decided to put myself on surfing restriction. I only allowed myself to surf as many times per week as I actually attended a yoga class. My teaching was becoming stale and I knew it. I knew I needed to practice more and learn from other teachers to improve my craft. I felt I wasn't providing my students with my best. Focusing on my yoga practice felt awful. Everything in me wanted to spend my time outdoors in the salt water and the sun. But there I was on my mat, feeling sick to my stomach. My practice was making me physically ill as I stretched into places that did not want to be opened. The Yoga Sutras teach us to practice nonviolence as the number one priority. Yet, I felt I was committing an act of violence against myself with each yoga class. I simply didn't want to be there. I was sure my body signals could be trusted. I was sure I, would not, I did not have to be miserable to run a business. I was not sure, however, that I wanted to throw in the towel. If there was any way to run my business, make a modest income, and have a few hours of free time daily plus one full day off per week, I simply had to find it. I knew I deserved all that. I knew humans were not meant to work like I was, but I also knew that my newfound rebellious teenager attitude toward work had to go. A friend set me up a meeting with a very successful business coach who was wealthier than God and had an IQ off the charts. 
This guy was impossible to get a meeting with and was doing me a big favor. I will not soon forget how it went. We sat down at an outdoor cafe. I ordered eggs, the businessman got coffee. Between bites, I told him my business model, the demographic in my location, the size of my building, and any other details he asked of me. After 10 minutes of him firing questions and me answering, he sat down his coffee. He took a deep breath and looked sideways, staring off into space for a moment. He nodded his head a bit and then looked directly at me, then decisively said, nope, doesn't work, get out. My friend who had organized the meeting had also come along. Until that statement, he had been silently. Instantly, he interjected to defend me. Whoa, Melanie isn't looking to become a millionaire. She just wants to teach yoga, pay her bills, and have time to surf. The businessman thought for about 15 seconds more. Nope, I'd still get out, he bluntly stated again. Emotion overwhelmed me. I was quiet. I recognized a familiar feeling. It was the same feeling I had when Josh admitted he was still watching porn. It was the same feeling I had when I discovered Kurt's relapse. I was neither angry nor defensive. I felt relief. My friend tried to argue with the businessman, and the two of them devised a strategy that could actually work, a change in the business model. I realized the amount of energy it would take to make the change was just not physically possible for me. When I started the business, it was a labor of love that took a tremendous amount of effort, but I was creating a life. I was working to be together with my husband and to make a family. Now the only motivations were the fear of failure, the embarrassment of defeat, and the sense of codependence I had for my students. I half listened to the guys talking, jotting down ideas for the new business model. My heart got really happy. I realized the business could be saved and the community would not have to be left with a hole. But I decided in that moment, I would not personally do the saving for once. I had just been handed my ticket out. A ticket I didn't even know I wanted, but eagerly accepted. Within two weeks, I contacted a business broker and had my business listed for sale. I enacted the necessary changes to the model of the business so it would be robust and ready to sell. But I made up my mind to leave the rest to someone deeply motivated, more than just a girl who simply felt she needed to prove herself. But I still clung to Kurt. There was just one more gift I was terrified to give myself, permission to fail at love. What happened next would be the greatest gift life would ever give me in the strangest packaged yet. I was about to know a new freedom and a new peace. I hope you liked the episode. If you did, I have a behind the scenes video commentary available on my website, 100daysinmexico.com. I also have all kinds of writing from my current adventures. I'd love to share this stuff with you. So if you head on over to 100daysinmexico.com, you can sign up to become an insider and read all of the behind the scenes content and all of the current stories 
the dramas, and the adventure that I'm experiencing while I travel around the world, trying to improve my surfing, trying to improve my life. Until next time.